Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in God bless you, saints. Thank you for joining us. The Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, we love you. We want that your love would live in us, Lord. That your love would be shed abroad in our hearts, Lord. That we would walk in the love of Jesus, Father. Lord, you said love never fails. Oh, glory to God. And, uh... Lord, that we want that love of Jesus to be manifested through us to all the people of the world around us, Father. We know that it has the power to bring to Christ, Lord. The world knows nothing of it, Lord. And it's so peculiar, Lord, that most of your people know nothing of it either. So we ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, to open our eyes and bless us to know you. Lord, you are love, your word declares. God is love, but we know your children are too. Thank you, Father. Amen. Yes, First John 4 and 8 declares that God is love. And wonder about the children that are born of God. Wouldn't they also be love? Well, it's interesting. I, I'm thinking of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we also know that the word name there, onoma, means uh, nature, character, and authority. We do what we do in the nature and the character of our Lord. Meaning, of course, as Jesus walked, if anybody says that they abide in him, let them walk as he walked, 1 John says. So, we do all in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus manifested his love, you know, um, to the world in giving himself, giving his life, so on and so forth. We have these awesome love chapters, you know. 1 John 4 and um, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, that tell us what love is. And we have uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and 14, which tells us, let all that you do be done in love. So we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we do all that we do in love. Wow. So, if we examine 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to back up a little bit, 1 Corinthians 12, get a few verses here, 1 Corinthians 12. I think this is the most important thing in Christianity, folks. Even more important than faith, because if you have love, you'll respect faith, you'll respect the gifts, you'll respect people. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're told, in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, 
uh, have all gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but desire earnestly the greater gifts. And moreover, a most excellent way show I unto you. Now, I know that some people teach this as um, speaking negatively of the gifts, but of course that's not true. If you don't believe in the gifts and love the gifts, you really don't love at all, because the gifts are God's provision to meet his people's needs. You know, um, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, Follow after love, yet desire spiritual gifts. Follow after love, but desire spiritual gifts. So we are to desire after these gifts, but we're not to put them in the place of love. You know, love is something that is, it's what God is. God is love. It's what his children are. It's what you are. It's not something that you have. It's not something that is given to you. A gift is something that's given unto you. But love is your nature. And uh, that's the reason he's exalting love above the gifts in chapter 13. Because your nature is what God desires to come into conformity to Jesus Christ. And he says in 13 and 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. In other words, he's not speaking negatively of tongues. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So he's certainly not speaking negatively of tongues. But he's saying you can have a gift without having the giver. And uh, most importantly, we want to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? In his nature, and his character, because that causes the giver to be the one that lives through us, right? So, you know, I remember, you know, 35, 36 years ago that the first church I went to didn't believe in tongues or gifts or whatever, you know, and it was uh, didn't really have much of the power of God there. In fact, they had none of the power of God there. And um, I learned... You know, that if they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, from such turn away. So I did. I turned away from them. I decided I believed the New Testament. And I believed in the gifts. And I believed that Jesus passed on his authority to us. And it was all the way through the New Testament. And I'd already read it before I went to church, thank God. And I decided, well, wait a minute, where are the people that believe this? You know, and, I, and so the very next place I went to was a Pentecostal church. And, uh, you know, Pentecostal is pretty much, in some cases, known as a denomination, you know. But the Pentecostal people are the people who believe in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and they received the power of the Spirit to manifest these gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. Well, I ended up in one of those old-time Pentecostal churches, and, um, you know, I... I really think that they believed tongues was more important than love because they were pretty much Pharisees. And, and before long, I was be, it was sinking into me. I was um, becoming leavened, you know, and I had become deceived in some thinking, you know. And 
I started out really good because I was reading the Word of God and devouring it day and night, you know. But uh, they convinced me they knew more than I did in a couple of areas. And uh, and so I got wound up in their idea of tongues, you know. they they um, Tongues was a good gift among them, and it, and it showed a fruit and power in their life somewhat. But they had made it uh, the most important thing that they taught is to speak in tongues. And um, and I thought it was pretty important, too, because I saw all the way through the book of Acts that it was the most common gift that was given to God's people. And when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied and so on and so forth. So I believe, I still today believe it's a very important gift. Anytime you can pray to God according to the will of God in a language that you don't know because your mind gets involved... So God gives this gift so that we can pray to him according to his will. Actually, so that the Holy Spirit can pray through us to him according to his will, without the hindrance of our mind. That's the reason for speaking in tongues. It's a very good gift, a very powerful gift. It edifies, it builds up, the Bible says. The one who it builds up their faith, the Bible says. So that's a good gift. Anytime you can go to God according to his will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and pray for things that you don't know you need, that's a good gift. But I tell you, a gift is not the giver. A gift is given as a meantime thing till the giver comes, right? And uh, so he says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I don't have the giver, you know, then I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Well, you know, God can give a gift and God can take it back. But one thing he's not going to take back, and that is love. We will come to the place where we will be full of the giver. And the gifts will become unnecessary. I know some people say they're already unnecessary. No, you don't know what the Bible says if you believe that. And we'll get to that point, too. We're going to prove that that's not true. None of these things have passed away. Uh, but they are for the purpose of edifying the body, meeting the body's needs, until the giver comes to be manifested totally in that body. So, yes, God can, can take his gifts back. In fact, he gives gifts unto men, and some men don't uh, endure unto the end, and don't manifest Christ, don't manifest his love, and, and he does take the gift back. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he starts out speaking about, Remember also thy Creator in the days of thy youth, before the evil days come. And I tell you, when you read about these evil days all the way down through verse 5, you begin to see the times that we're in now. It seems very plain. Before the evil days come and the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. We, we know that that's going to happen in these days too, right? And the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows shall be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one shall rise up at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Yea, they shall be afraid of that which is on high, 
and terrors shall be in the way. The almond trees shall blossom. That's the first fruits. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. And the desire shall fail because man goes to his everlasting home. Don't believe the thought that the man doesn't have an everlasting home. Whether you're a member of the body of the beast or whether you're a member of the body of the kingdom, you have an everlasting home. And the mourners go about the streets, meaning, of course, death, right? Before the silver cord is loosed, meaning your your last connection to this life, you, the spiritual man, your last connection to this life, right? The silver cord uh, is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken. You know, again, the bowl is the container, right? We're just a container for a spiritual life that is eternal. Or the pitcher is broken. Jesus spoke about that, didn't he? And um, at the fountain. And the wheel is broken at the cistern. The wheel is the, the cycle of life, right, that James spoke about. And the dust returneth to the earth, meaning this old physical life goes back where it came from. And as it was, and the Spirit returneth unto God who gave it. The Spirit returneth unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Can it all go back to God? Well, of course, if you don't use it for the purpose of um, manifesting His Son. I mean, He spoke about in the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he said, Moreover, a most excellent or a more excellent way show I unto you. What is he talking about? A more excellent way. There is a, there is a motive behind the gifts. Gifts can be useful in bringing forth the kingdom and bringing forth the Savior and saving his people from their curses and, and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a motive behind the gifts, and it ought to be love. Everything we do, the Bible says, should be in love. And we should do all in the name, in the nature, character, and authority of Jesus Christ. That's what we're commanded. And God is love. And His children are love. If you want to know when they really manifest being children of God. Now, I know we're children of God by faith. But faith is the substance of the thing hoped for, while the evidence is not seen. And faith is also accounted as righteousness. So that's very good, you know. Uh, but faith can be manifest, too. And when it is manifest, God's children are like Him. And uh, that's the whole point. And His seed, which He sows in our hearts to bring forth His nature, is the Word of God. As the parable in Matthew 13 tells us, the parable of the sower. So, tongues is a very useful gift, but like any gift, it's works, it's not nature, right? Uh, you know, what does the Bible say about our works, you know? Are we justified by our works, or by the manifestation of gifts, or, or is this justification by faith, and when it's manifest, by nature? That's the whole point. First, it's by faith, and then it's by nature. Love is what God wants in you. Gifts can come and go. Gift is given to you for a good purpose, to do the works of Jesus Christ, right? But, but the ultimate end that God wants 
is nature. It's love, right? Many are confused about works, right? Look in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, Not by works done in righteousness, by the way, manifesting gifts are works. Okay? And these don't justify you. Some people, in, like in that church I was in, they thought if once you spoke in tongues, man, you have stepped over the line. You are one of God's people. You know, you are, you're it, you know, so to speak. And I ran into that thinking in a lot of different churches that the line was a little different. They, in other words, they, uh, they, um, spoke of different things being more important, you know. But, um, in that church, you know, it was uh, being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and speaking in tongues. That was the most important thing. And then after you did that, well, you were okay with them, right? But truly, there is no line in Christianity. You know, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin, right? We walk in this light. It's a continual walk. And we walk by faith. And that faith justifies us. And we walk down this road in order to come into the, the manifestation of God in us. And who is God? Well, God is love. Right? What God wants his children to be is love. And the works, they're necessary. The works are necessary. If you are a child of God, you will do the works of God. And uh, verse 5 says, Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration. See, you, you can be a great person in the gifts. Many people are really puffed up by their gifts. They think that they're special in the eyes of God because of their gift. Wait a minute. God gave you the gift. That don't make you special, you see. Uh, God can give the gift to anybody. Baby Christians received gifts. You know, in this time and in ours, baby Christians received gifts because God's people have needs. And these gifts are for meeting those needs. They are gifts of power in order to manifest those uh, needs to God's people. But he says it's through the washing of regeneration, which is, of course, speaks about the new birth, not just the new birth in your spirit, but in your uh, soul and in your body. You know, there is a complete re- regeneration that God plans for his people, spirit, soul, and body, right? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. They say, well, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true, but notice it's not receiving the Holy Spirit that saves a person. It's the renewing of the Holy Spirit that saves a person. You know, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Meaning, you can have the Holy Spirit and don't obey the Holy Spirit. It won't do you a bit of good. It can go back to God who gave it. When you go to the dust, it can go right back to God who gave it. You know, And uh, so, you know, God can, can give gifts and he can take gifts away. But it's the nature that God respects that he's putting in us. And this nature of love is very important. So, it's through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, he's already given us this gift. 
It's already ours. All we have to do is partake of it through faith. It's already ours. So many people, they're, they are really impressed with the works, but the gifts are not as valuable. I'm talking about the, the gift of love, for instance, is not as valuable to them. They're really impressed with the works and with the gifts of the Spirit, but um, this, this fruit is not as, as valuable to them to speak about or to live about. You know, in Luke chapter 17, let me read that to you. I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, But who is there of you, Jesus said, having a servant plowing or keeping sheep, that will say unto him, when he has come in from the field, Come straightway and sit down to meet. And I will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me until I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Verse 9. Doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded? Even so, ye also, when ye shall have done all the things that are commanded of you, say, We are an unprofitable servant. We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You know, we have a duty to do some things. God doesn't necessarily thank us for doing these things. They are part of our work. But that is our duty. You know, what he wants us to do is to serve him first. Put him first. Serve him first. And we consider ourselves to be unprofitable servants up until that point. So what is it that actually makes us profitable? The things that we do or the things that we are? In God's sight, it's the things that we are. Love is something that you are. A gift is something that you do. It was given to you to use, and you use it. But what God is looking for is sons, that is, those who are born in his nature, in his character. right? And, um, you know, it's many people are really caught up in the fact that they're justified in the works that they do. But God doesn't see it that way. Many people are very impressed with the office that they have, maybe apostle or prophet, but God doesn't see it that way. What he's interested in is the fruit manifested in your life. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, 13, we are told, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, for that God chose you from the beginning, notice he chose you from the beginning, unto salvation. You know, when do we are we saved? Jesus said, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. We're saved by faith in the beginning, but faith is the substance of the thing hoped for, while the evidence is not yet seen, because the evidence of salvation is Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the evidence of our salvation. So, when he says, he chose you from the beginning unto salvation, in sanctification of the Spirit, he's talking about the manifestation of that salvation happening in you. The Holy Spirit is separating you, sanctifying you, separating you from your sins unto him. Right? Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you through our gospel to the obtaining 
of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he called us for. Gifts are just a meantime thing. They're just a, um, a tool to help us get there, right? But what he called us for is to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is speaking about, this glory. Let me read on there. You know, speaking of, of gifts and offices, we just read uh, actually in 1 Corinthians 12 there, he started out talking about offices, apostles and prophets, and then started talking about gifts, you know. And then he tell, told us that, that this is a more excellent way, you know, to, to manifest the office, to manifest the gifts. This The way is love. That's what he's going to tell us all the way down through here. You know, many people use the gifts and use the office, and uh, they don't do it in a righteous way, and they don't do it in love, okay? I, I remember a man, a famous minister that um, I knew many, many years ago, appeared in, in a vision that I had. And in this vision, I'll just tell it to you real briefly, I, I, was, I was on the top of this mountain, and I saw coming up the side of this mountain men putting up the real high-tension power lines and they were bringing these power lines over the top of this mountain. And I believe this mountain to be Christianity. And the power lines, the power coming to Christianity. Well, I saw them putting up. I looked down the side and I saw them coming up the side of the mountain. And I turned to my side and I saw on top of the mountain there was beside me this cow. A withered up looking cow. It looked like it was just about to die. And... um I looked down beside this cow, and there was a baby boy, a very large baby boy there. And I bent down to pick up this baby boy, and along comes this front-end loader. And this front-end loader was scooping up this cow and moving this cow out of the way so that they could bring that power line over the top of this this mountain. And um, the mountain, of course, represented the kingdom of God, but but that cow was in the way. And the Lord impressed me that that cow represented um, the false religions, the reprobate religions of Christianity, the apostate religions, I should say, of Christianity. Uh, and, it, and it represented the golden calf, you know, of, um, of, uh, of idolatrous religion that had come to full maturity now and was dying and was just being passed off the scene. You know what? The power of God is not going to come through the apostate religions. they just got to be moved out of the way because that's not where the power is coming. It's coming over the top of God's mountain. It's coming over the top of his kingdom. But not, it's not going to flow through them. Okay, you got to come out from among them. So anyway, that's what this baby represented. Something, a fruit that was going to come out from among them and be separate. And, and I, so I pick up this baby and I walk over and I get on an escalator. And you know how an escalator is. It just carries you. You don't have to work. You don't have to, you know, walk up the steps. It's a rest. And that's what I rep, I know that it represented to me was a rest. A ceasing from any of my works to do this. So I had this big baby boy in my hands and he was big. I mean, he was just double handful, you know, like all I could carry. And he'd just been born from that cow. So God is going to get a good size first fruits to be born out of this cow. But anyway, 
I'm on this escalator going up, carrying this baby. And I look over beside me, and here is a, a woman carrying a small baby. And she looks at my baby, and she says, wow, that looks like a real baby boy. you know." And I turned and looked off of the escalator down at the front end loader carrying the old cow off. And I said, I said yeah, I wonder how that's possible. So I'm wondering how this could come out of that. <laughs> you know what? That's that's the miracle God's going to do, you know. We wonder how in the world can God get what he's about to get out of this dead religious system that's all around us, you know. And the power of God is coming, folks. The power of God is coming. But, but here's the point I wanted to make. Um, as I was going up this escalator, the vision changed. And I was walking into an auditorium. And this auditorium was full of famous preachers. That's who was there. It was like a meeting of the famous preachers in America, you know. And one of the most famous at the time walked over to me. And um, he walked over to me and he handed me some papers. And when he handed me the papers, a voice spoke to me and said, this is his propaganda about what he has accomplished. And, you know, I have to tell you the truth. Uh, this particular man... Uh, had accomplished quite a bit. He had been quite an evangelist. Many people had come into the kingdom. But I think the emphasis was on what he thought he had done. Why he was justified because of what he thought he had done, what he thought he had accomplished. You know, we don't accomplish anything. It's only the Lord through us that accomplishes anything. And, uh, but, this particular preacher had been caught up into all kinds of sin, and the reason was is he, he thought he was, in a way, I think, irreplaceable because of all that he had done. And this voice said to me, this is his propaganda about what he has accomplished. You know, it, it wasn't the truth, you know. Many people can be used as in certain offices in the church, uh, with certain gifts in the church, mightily. But you know what? That's not what God's looking for, and that's not what he's demanding for a child of God. What he is demanding, I mean, these things are all necessary, and they're all good, but if you feel justified by the work rather than the fruit, you've totally missed the point. Totally missed the point. Now, that was the problem with this man, is he felt justified in the great work that he had done, actually that the Lord had done through him. And so he felt like God would wink at his sin because he was so important to the work, right? And many people feel that way because of their gifts, because of their offices. They feel that God will wink. No, he won't. You know, he basically has the same standard for ministers, uh, powerful prophets, so on and so forth, uh, as he does for anybody else. He demands fruit. And uh, the most important fruit of all is love, because it encompasses so many other things. You know. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read on a little bit further here. He said, I'm going to repeat verse 1. He says, but I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... And have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And uh, in other words, yeah, your gift might be useful. It might bless a lot of people. But if you're being self-justified by it, it's a curse to you. It becomes a curse to you. 
You're not justified by your gifts. You're, you're justified by faith, and that faith manifests the nature of Jesus Christ, and that's what you're manifested, manifestly justified by, is the nature of Jesus Christ. And verse 2, And if I have the gift of prophecy, uh, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So if I have the gift of prophecy, but have not love, I am nothing. You know, there are many people who have the gift of prophecy. And there are many people that because of the gift of prophecy claim to be prophets. But I want to tell you what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who has an office in the church of an elder. An elder means somebody who is mature in the faith. A a, a true prophet is somebody who is mature in the faith. Now, a true prophet has a gift called prophecy, but that's just one of his gifts. You see, Uh, he is somebody who is mature in the faith. There are many people nowadays who uh, claim quickly the office of a prophet because they prophesy. But that's a pretty dangerous thing. Let let me go back to Matthew chapter 7 and read something to you. Verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. In other words, they don't have fruit. What makes them a false prophet? They don't have fruit. They have selfish ambition. They want to devour the sheep for their own selfish purposes, right? So inwardly they are ravening wolves. By their fruits you shall know them. How do we know a false prophet? We don't know them because they're false prophecy. It doesn't say that. It says you know them by their fruits. Okay. Uh, by their fruits you shall know them. Uh, love is a fruit, is it not? Okay. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or figs of thistles, so their fruit is thorns and thistles. So how can you get good fruit from somebody who has no good fruit? Well, what he's saying is you can't. You can't. Don't be deceived. They're there to plunder you. Verse 17. Even so, uh, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. So if you're a good tree, it's the fruit that's good. Sure, you can have gifts. Gifts are great. Gifts are necessary. Gifts are necessary to do the work of God. But what about who you are? This is what's important. Who you are. See? Good tree brings forth good fruit, but the corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. So you're a corrupt tree no matter how many gifts you have, no matter what office you claim, you're a corrupt tree if you have corrupt fruit. Verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. A good tree has good fruit, and it can't bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. You know, if their works and their life and their nature is corrupt, they can't bring forth good fruit, and they can't bring forth good fruit in you. And verse 19, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Doesn't matter how many gifts, don't matter what your office you claim, if you don't have fruit, you're going to lose out on the kingdom. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, so we're talking about people who do call him Lord, 
shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father. Notice that people who have good fruit do the will of the Father. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name? And by thy name cast out demons, and by thy name do many mighty works. So, contrary to the non-full gospel people's idea that people that do these things are bad, casting out demons is not bad, and doing mighty works and prophesying is not bad. It's good. According to the scripture, it's your traditions that are destroying you there. Okay? Uh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, and by thy name cast out demons, and by thy name do many mighty works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He wasn't saying that their works of casting out demons, or their mighty works, or their prophesying was works of iniquity. He was talking about their life being a work of iniquity. Their own fruit being... Notice, all the way down through there, the problem was the fruit. How does fruit manifest it? If you have the fruit of love, how is it manifested? Well, that's what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 13. If you have love, it's going to be manifested in many ways. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. But notice, you can uh, prophesy... And consider this something that really gives you a um, a real in with God, let me say, or in with the kingdom, you know. But he says, if you have the gift of prophecy and have not love, you're nothing. You're nothing. That's what he says. Nothing is pretty low, you know. You're nothing. So you can have a really good gift of prophecy, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. That's what he says. And if you know all mysteries and all knowledge, wow, if you know all mysteries and all knowledge, some people have great knowledge. They have great knowledge of the Word, that great knowledge of the way, great knowledge able to teach, you know. But if they don't have fruit, will that knowledge do them any good? Well, no. Matter of fact, what it usually does is... Chapter 8, and uh, verse 1, 2, and 3 says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth, or buildeth up. You can get puffed up or built up. Built up is the building up of the spiritual man, and puffed up is the pride of the carnal man, right? Knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. That's what edifieth means. And if any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth not yet as he ought to know. But if any man loveth God, the same is known by him. Remember what he said? I never knew you. Well, he prophesied. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So you can have a gift and be very puffed up. It may be a true gift and be very puffed up. You can have a gift of knowledge. No mysteries. But if the fruit is not there, you're going to miss the kingdom. And, you know, what people on earth believe is great and what 
those in the kingdom believe is great can be two totally different things. People can be very impressed with your gift. Uh, they can be very impressed with your teaching, uh, your revelation, your deep knowledge of the word, your faith, your prophecy. I know some people who have claimed the office of prophet. But they're not mature in the Lord. They're very immature in the Lord, and uh, they're really wolves. And um, But a lot of the people of God don't recognize that. And they, the people of God can look and see their fruit. They've seen what they've been caught in. They've seen in the corruption that they've been in. They've seen the sins that they've been in. But you know what? They ignore that for the gift. Well, he just warned us in Matthew chapter 7, you don't get grapes from that. See? So you're going to receive something all right. You're going to receive, like Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. You're going to receive their spirit and their life from them. So you need to get out from under them. But they're very impressed with their gift, and people get impressed with their gift, and they people are very impressed with knowledge. In fact, uh, people are very competitive about knowledge. There's such an argument going on in Christianity about knowledge. But there's something more important. Fruit. You know, people argue about doctrine. They get angry. They get competitive. And in their anger, of course, they've forgotten the most important thing is fruit. In their competitiveness to beat out their brother, to be smarter, to be seen as smarter, to have won the battle, they've forgotten the one important thing, and that is the fruit, and in this case, the fruit of love. Right? So, he says, you can know all mysteries and all knowledge, and and, um, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Well, few people have that kind of faith, right? To move mountains. Faith is, um, by the way, faith is both a gift and a fruit, isn't it? You know, faith is something that, that is a part of your nature if you're a Christian. And, of course, it can grow as you learn how to use it. But also faith is a gift. For instance, in chapter 12 and verse 9, it says to, a, to another faith in the same spirit and to another gifts of healings, etc., etc. So faith is a gift as well as a fruit. We, of course, have to have that fruit of faith, but faithfulness, some people use as the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. But, but the gift of faith is quite different. You can have the gift of faith to move mountains and still not have the fruit. Because the gift of faith, some of you have experienced it, you just know. It's something that overcomes your natural inhibitions. You just know something because God has put this knowledge in you. You just know something is so. You just know something's going to happen. You just know this person's healed. You just know that they're going to receive this gift or uh, this provision or whatever. You know, a gift of faith, I've received uh, quite a few times a gift of faith, and it's not like the natural faith that is growing in you. Uh, by the Lord, it's uh, an overwhelming thing, in a way. And so, people can have faith to remove mountains. They can have a gift of faith to do something great and wonderful. But a gift is something that's given to you, and the fruit of faith 
is who you are. See, see, the Lord is coming for who you are. He's coming to pick the fruit. And when he picks the fruit, frankly, it don't matter what gifts you got, because you're not going to be using them anymore. See? So the important thing is to do everything that you do in love. Because God is love. And so are his children. And so, once again, oh, that's uh, 1 John 4. Let me read that to you. 1 John 4. In verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God. So therefore, you know, the word born or begotten is the same word, okay? Every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. You say, well, I've been born again, David. You know, but I don't feel like I have that kind of love. Well, that's because you've been born again in part, you know. And we, we're born again, first of all, in spirit. And then as we walk in that spirit, we're born again in soul, which is our nature and our character and our mind. And ultimately, if we've borne fruit in our soul, we will be begotten again in our body. We will have a born again heavenly body. See, so, you know, as you obey your spirit, it manifests in your soul. As you walk in it in your soul, you'll ultimately be uh, able to receive it in your body. Okay, so. But notice, everyone that loveth is born of God. You want to be born again, spirit, soul, and then ultimately body. You have to receive love because you're born of God and his seed is love, right? So everyone that loveth is born of God or begotten of God and knoweth God. You know, Jesus said, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you not. Yeah. So, notice that, and we also read in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that he knows those that love. Right? He that loveth not, knoweth not God. A person that doesn't walk in love, they don't know God. They can have wonderful gifts. And God will give those gifts to immature Christians. He did all through the Bible, and he does it today. But love is what he's looking for. Fruit is what he's looking for. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Doesn't matter how much knowledge of the word he can have. Notice, he said you could know all mysteries, deep mysteries. But if you don't, no love, then you're missing out on God. For God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And herein was the love of God manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So this is how God's love was manifested in Christ, is that Jesus gave up his life for others. This is going to be in the life of the true person, child of God who, who knows God and who loves God. That's what's going to be in them, is to give up their life for others, not demand their rights, not to plunder, not to get see what they can get out of people. You see, that's not the kind of love that God 
is manifesting in people. Matter of fact, if you just go over to the previous chapter, verse 16, it says, Hereby know we love, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, Jesus laid down his life for us so we could lay down our life for others. It's not so that we wouldn't have to lay down our life. We are here to lay down our life. Wow. So now we know what love is. It is, um, it's not necessarily gifts, although if you love God's people, you'll certainly want gifts. And if you love God's people, you'll certainly want to take care of them. You know, that's, that's the reason true ministers are in the ministry in the first place. They want, they love God's people. They want to help God's people. They're not there for selfish purposes. Okay, true ministers. Others, I mean, uh, obviously it's quite fashionable to uh, climb the corporate ladder. You know, that that's a worldly thing. Many preachers are that re- way. They're, the reason that they're in the ministry is to feed off of the sheep. They Their ego feeds off of the sheep. Their pocketbook feeds off of the sheep. They think it's a good biz- business to be in. And they like the esteem that they get from from people and so on and so forth. Well, they're in it for the wrong reason. It's very dangerous for them, obviously. But a true minister of God is in it for love. This is the more excellent way he spoke about. The more excellent way to do what? To manifest the offices and to manifest the gifts is love. Love has to be behind it. If it's not, this is a false person. You know? I mean, even if their gift is true, they're false. So, back to our our 1 Corinthians 13 here. Wow. Praise be to God. The Word of God is is so awesome. You know, if you have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, he says, you're nothing. Wow. In verse 3, And if I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, there are philanthropists out there that uh, it's actually an ego thing with some of them to to meet the needs of people around them and to do good things, good works, so on and so forth. Matter of fact, it soothes their conscience. But their motive is what God looks at. Uh, you know, when Jesus was standing next to the treasury and the woman with the two mites threw in her two mites and the Pharisees threw in their bundles, you know, Jesus was impressed with the woman with the two mites. And he wasn't impressed with the Pharisees who threw in their bundles, you know. You know, it's, it's, what, it's the motive. You know, and uh, obviously the woman with the two mites, she gave out of a sacrificial heart. And they were, of course, giving under the law. She, she, when you have two mites and, and you give it, it's your last two mites, you're not given under the law, you're given out of a sacrificial heart. But what about somebody who gives lots and lots of money, but what they've got left still makes them a king, you know? So, but they're giving under the law. They're seeking to be justified by their works. That's what the law was all about. Justified by works, right? 
We're not justified by works anymore because God's creating sons. He's not creating servants anymore. Sons is what he's creating. And a son serves the father because of love, not because of justification by works, you see. So you can bestow all your goods to feed the poor, and if it's for the wrong motivation, if it's for the the glory of man, uh, or to feed your ego, or to feel justified because you're sinning somewhere else and you figure that God will let you slide if you do this. <laughs> you know the kind of thinking I'm talking about. If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, and actually in the original here it's that I may glory. And the reason we know that is because there's a numeric pattern in the Greek words that I may glory. There's no numeric pattern in the Greek words to be burned, you know. So people can actually do that for their own glory. You can get, they can give their body, they could bestow all their goods to the poor, you know, but they're doing it for their own glory. It's not because of love, it's because of lust. See, two totally different motivations here, you know. So why does he say this is a more excellent way? Because obviously, if love is our motivation, then the gifts that we have will be pure. The offices that we work in will also be pure. And the fruit that will come from other people will be pure. You know, you don't get grapes of thorns. That's what Jesus said, right? So the the motivation is important. Why did he call it a most or a more excellent way? Because the motivation is important. What's behind what you do is important to God. It may not be to the people that receive from you. They may not recognize it, but it is important to God. You see, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart, the Bible says. So if you're in this for any other reason than love, you're um, you're missing the whole point. And yes, you might have earthly glory, but it won't work out that way in the end because the Lord is the one who gives the reward. And he calls those, for instance, false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 who uh, are inwardly ravening wolves that they're doing it for their own ego they're doing it to feed themselves, and they're feeding off of the sheep. And so, you know, whenever we are blessed by God with an office, unless we've blessed ourselves with that office, or the world has blessed us with that office, we need to manifest it through God's fruit. We've been enjoying studying the love of God. You know, God is love, but so are His children. And uh, ultimately, this is going to be the proof of the many that are called and the few that are chosen. Because um, God's children are all going to be proven to be people who love. We've been studying love. We've been discovering the things in 1 Corinthians 13 that aren't as important as love. And um, we've been discovering just exactly what love is. The word love we're looking at here in, in most cases is agape meaning God's love, God's love in us, God's love in man. One thing I'd like to start with is um, Romans chapter 5. 
you know, how do we partake of this love? You know, I mean, what we read in our last program, studied in our last program, it may be, you may feel like it's over your head. You know, what can we do about this? Well, here's where it all comes from, folks. Um, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one thing you have to make sure of, is that you have peace with God because you believe the gospel. And the gospel is, of course, in a nutshell, that the Lord gave us his life on that cross. And um, I know many people make sell that very short, but the truth is he gave us everything that he is. And uh, he made reconciliation um, uh, through his redemption, and that reconciliation means an exchange, an exchange of his life for your life and my life. And uh, what we gave to him was, of course, our curse and our sin, and it was nailed upon that cross. And what he gave to us is his blessing and his holiness and uh, his righteousness, his nature. And one thing he gave us was love, because that's who he is. And But we are justified, which means we are accounted righteous first by our faith. We believe that the Lord did this for us. We believe he took away our sins. We believe that he gave us his life. Therefore, we are justified, which means accounted righteous. Okay? And this is only by faith. It's not, you know, as some people say, a once in a lifetime step over the line type thing. Okay, now I believe and I can sit, sit back and rest on my laurels, you know. But it's not like that. This is a continual life of faith. We continue in the faith. As we continue in the faith, we see the manifestation of that faith. So I'm going to read on here. It says, verse 2, Through whom also we have had our access by faith. Notice, we have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, now we need to stand in grace every day. Grace is God's favor to bring this to pass, to manifest it. We've received it by faith, but faith is the substance of the thing hoped for, and the evidence is not yet seen. But we want to receive it by manifestation. That's what bearing fruit is, is bearing the fruit of Jesus by manifestation. So we have access in to stand in this grace because of our faith. We have to continually believe that this exchange has been made. So much so that uh, I'll share my favorite verse with you, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. We behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, you know what you normally see in a mirror, right? The old... Fallen man, right? Well, we behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, how long do you have to look in the mirror? Until it manifests, right? From glory to glory. It's not a look one time. I accepted Jesus as my Savior ten years ago. Now everything's cool. I sit down and wait to go to heaven. It's not that way. That's not what salvation's all about, folks. God wants to manifest in us what he gave us at that cross. And so we have our access by faith, but the manifestation is going to come as you continue in the faith. You know, hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised, the Bible says. And verse Let me read on here. It says, In this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in 
hope of the glory of God. Hope is a, a firm expectation of the glory of God. A firm expectation. We firmly expect the Lord to bring to pass what He promised. Okay? In verse 3. And not only so, but, and what it literally says, uh, let us also, literally, let us also rejoice in our tribulations. Because obviously a tribulation or a trial is when you go through things that when you haven't manifested yet the glory of the Lord, but you're going through this trial in order to bring it to pass, right? And a trial is when you see one thing, but you know another one. You, you see, you see, when you look naturally in the mirror, you see your natural face. But James warned us, you know, that if a person only sees their natural face in the mirror, uh, they're just a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word. That's what he said. So, naturally speaking, that's all you're ever going to see in the mirror. But by faith... You see Christ. By faith you accept that he made this exchange of his life for yours. And so, and, and of course, we're including in that the most important fruit, which is love, right? We rejoice in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh steadfastness or patience. You know, we need patience in our faith. Some people, if they don't see the answer immediately, they give up. But faith is the substance of the thing hoped for. While the evidence is not seen. The substance is something you have to give to God. You give God the substance, and he makes for you what that substance is for. You see, he says that tribulation worketh steadfastness, and steadfastness approvedness, and approvedness hope, and hope puts not to shame, because the love of God hath been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit which was given unto us. So you see, this is, got, this is the end. The love of God being shed abroad in our heart. Now, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and take up where we left off, what we have seen already is the things that are not as important as love. Contrary to many people's thinking, you know, gifts, ministries, none of these things are important as love because love is a fruit of God. And God is love, you see. And, and so are they that live in God, as we're going to see. Okay. So uh, now we're going to talk about what love is. We've talked about what it isn't. We've talked about what's not as important. And, and now we're going to see in verse 4 what love is. Love suffereth long, or is long-suffering, and is kind. Love is long-suffering. Our you know, God suffers long with us, doesn't he? You know, we wonder why God is so patient with us, with all of our failures and all of our foolishness. Well, he is long-suffering. And, um, you know, he is patient. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is a good word concerning this. Let me read this to you. Verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthily, of the calling wherewith you were called. See, many people don't do that. Many people are not interested in doing anything but accepting Jesus as their personal Savior and going on to live their life the way they want to. And they that's a, a terrible thing. The Lord wants us to live up to the name. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that means you take his name when you're born into the kingdom. 
But you don't want to take his name for nothing because his name means his nature, character, and authority. We're baptized into the name, nature, character, and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his name. In other words, we take on his name, his nature. And people don't understand that this is the hope of our calling. You know, this is the greatness of the gospel, you know. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. You know, we, if we have love, we're long-suffering towards others just as God is long-suffering towards us. We forbear. Uh, we endure uh, in love. We endure what we go through with other people because God endures us. You know, uh, the Bible says, don't be deceived. You know, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, so shall he reap. We need to remember that whatever we want, our love towards the brethren, our love towards God, uh, is going to cause us to be long-suffering to them just like God is to us. And um, forbearing, you know, one another in love. Giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is something that we all have to do, folks. I mean, there's so much division in the church, so much judgment, so much criticism, so much anger, so much competition. All of these things that are not love, as we're going to see, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to be forbearing. And, um, you know, Colossians chapter uh, 3 is a, a good word, too. I'm going to read um, verse 12. It says, Put on, therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, which is one of the words we just saw in verse 13, uh, lowliness, meekness. Now, this is, this is not common to the natural man. No, lowliness, meekness, humility, these are not a part of the old man. We have to give up our life in order to do this. These are parts of love, okay, as we're going to see. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be enduring one another. We need to endure the things that other people bring upon us patiently and forgiving each other. This is one of the most important keys to love, is you won't be able to fulfill much of what is written there in 1 Corinthians 13 unless you first forgive one another. Those who are apt to criticize, apt to judge, apt to hold people's sins against them when God's not holding ours against us, these people are not likely to manifest the grace of God upon their life. Forbearing one another forgiving each other if any man have a complaint against any. Even as the Lord forgave you, so do ye. This is what we have to remember. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 34, that if we don't forgive everyone our brother from the heart, that his father will turn us over to the tormentors. And that's why many people are not manifesting love, is because they're unforgiving, and instead of grace, they get torment. Because this chastening is coming upon them as a fruit of what they're doing. Uh, they're reaping what they're sowing. And so, 
people, like I said, people who are apt to criticize, judge, um, hold people's sins against them, are going to get the same thing from God. So, verse 14, And above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. The bond of perfectness, or the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to the which also you were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Amen. And, you know, back in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, there's some more there. Love suffers long and is kind. You know, kindness is um, something we need to sow if it's what we want back from people. You know, um, sometimes it doesn't come natural. Our old man rises up in us and is very competitive and very self-willed and very demanding of his rights and so on and so forth. But the Lord wants us to be kind. Practice being kind. Love envieth not. It envieth not. Now, this is the same word. This is the verb of the noun in uh, James chapter 3, which is translated um, jealousy over there. Let me read that to you. James 3 and 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good life his works in meekness of wisdom. There's that word again. But if you have bitter jealousy, that's the same word there. This is, this is the, the noun, the other is the verb of the same Greek word, jealousy. Envy and jealousy, right? But if you have bitter jealousy and faction, faction, of course, is... Um, is the word that means to separate followers through selfish ambition. You know, in other words, uh, it's uh, one of the roots that causes denominationalism, uh, splitting up of the body of Christ, dividing friends, dividing people. Um, jealousy causes division, you know, instead of peace. The bond of perfectness, right? Love is the bond of per- perfectness. So, And faction in your heart. If you have bitter jealousy and faction in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. You know, when people are jealous, when they are critical, when they are judgmental, I mean, when this is a spirit that's manifesting from them and it's not um, the love of God that manifests from them, uh, this is a spirit. And this is why they're always liars, because these spirits are always liars. You know, people who uh, gossip, uh, people who backbite, they're liars. They stretch things every time. So be careful of them. When you hear them doing that, just get away from them because they're trying to separate you from someone by doing such a thing. And verse 15, This wisdom is not a wisdom that cometh down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish or demoniacal. Uh, for where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion. Confusion is the word for Babylon, right? Babel means confusion, doesn't it? You know, whenever there is faction and division in the church, that's Babylon. You know, come out from among them and be separate. That's what the Bible says. And every vile deed, for where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion and every vile deed. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Praise God. This is love, you see. Gentle, easy to be entreated. 
you know, you're not nervous about receiving it. You know, you know what I'm talking about? When you get around some people, you just feel like you need to go take a bath. <laughs> you feel like they're, they're polluting you. You know, you, um, you just need to separate from them before they uh, defile your spirit, you know. Easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without variance. You know, variance is, um, is uh, you know, uh, causing, you know, choosing between people, you know, having uh, respect of persons, you know. And, of course, people have respect of persons for the sake of advantage. They want to divide people, see. Without variance, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for them that make peace. Praise God. Uh, just an idea of what envieth not means. You know, love is to envy not. Love is to not have jealousy. Love is not to cause division. And it goes on to say, uh, love vaunteth not itself. In my version, that's what it says. And, and basically, it's talking about being a braggart, right? Somebody bragging about themselves. It's I, me, and mine, you know. You know the kind I'm talking about. It's really not us, is it? It's Jesus, right? Uh, what can we do and what do we have to brag about? Absolutely nothing. You know, the Lord has, uh, the Lord has taken care of it. What do you have that you didn't receive? Um, you know, 1 Corinthians 4 speaks about. In fact, I'm going to go there in just a minute here. It says, um, love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. You know, when you see someone who is that way, you know that that's not love. That's not the fruit of Christ. That's not the spirit of Christ, right? But in 1 Corinthians 4, let me read a little piece of this to you. Uh, verse 6, Paul said, now, now these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in, that in us you might learn not to go beyond the things that are written that no one of you be puffed up the one against the other. Now, what is he talking about? Well, you'd have to know the the uh, text a little bit to understand what he's saying. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's exhorting the Corinthians uh, to have no divisions. Verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be not divisions among you you know divisions um he's talking about denominational sects uh, dividing up of the body right uh if you look in a college dictionary and you look up the word denomination you would discover that it means uh, a sectarian spirit or policy that causes divisions a tendency to divide into divisions or uh, denominations or sects and um, so he says that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfected together in the same mind. Perfected together, meaning, of course, we can grow up together. We don't all have to agree on everything. Uh, we can grow up together. We can give patience and peace to our brother. He can give the same to us. We're obviously not learning at the same the same thing at the same time. If we're studying on our own, that is, if the only thing we're learning is what we get at church, well then, yeah, that's pretty easy. But um, but if you're seeking the Lord for yourself, seeking out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you don't get the same revelation at the same time as your brother does. 
And so sometimes you come together and you have to have patience and peace in order to, for the two of you to put the puzzle together, right? And uh, be very forgiving because you're learning too, right? I'm learning too, right? We're all learning. So we have to be patient with one another and let us each grow at our own rate as the Lord gives grace, right? And be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been signified unto me concerning you, uh, my brethren, uh, by them that are of the household of Chloe, that um, there are contentions among you. Now this I mean, that each one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. Now here's what he's talking about when he said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm using myself and Apollos as a type here. Uh, and this I mean, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Well, there's four different denominations right there. You know, this each one following a man, they think. You know, but Christ is not divided. This is what people don't understand. When people start following off after one person or another person, each one of these people may have a gift from God. But the truth is, God wants all those gifts put together in your life, right? He wants, a, for instance, He wants a fivefold ministry instead of a onefold ministry, like you have in many churches, because this is what it takes for what the perfecting of the saints. That's what the Bible says, right? Uh, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So basically, what He's saying is, no. There's just one body of Christ. And there are many ministers who are to help uh, bring you into the knowledge of this. Now, I, I agree and I grant you that there are some wolves out there that aren't ministers, weren't ordained of God, weren't sent of God. There's lots of them, like there were in Jesus' day. So we have to desire earnestly to seek after the truth and people who teach the truth. So, again... Let's go to um, chapter 3 and see why. what kind of a comparison is he making between himself and Apollos here. Well, in chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, For when one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Ministers through whom you believed, and each as the Lord gave to him. See, everybody doesn't have the same gift. You know, not every minister has the same gift, obviously. And verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So here's the plan. They wanted to divide up. So somebody, so, so this group over here would only get planting, and this group over here would only get watering. You know? So Paul is saying, no, no, this is not the way here, folks. He says, um, for instance, also in chapter 4, Verse 21, excuse me, first chapter 3 and verse 21. Wherefore, let no one glory in men, for all are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. And all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. So we're still just one body. That's what it all has to lead back to. It can't be division, sex. These things are works of the flesh, they are not love. So if we go back and we read now, in verse 6 and verse 7, it's more understandable. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to go beyond the things which are written, that no one of you be puffed up for the one against the other. 
puffed up was what was about to cause a denominational dividing up into sects here in this uh, text, you know. Puffed up is uh, uh, prideful, boastful, competitive. You know, uh, people compete with one another in Christianity over doctrine. What we really want to compete for is the fruit of Jesus Christ, right? We all want to run after that with all of our heart, you know. But to argue over doctrine, we should be helping one another with doctrine, not arguing or being puffed up over doctrine or over men. You know, one follows this man, another follows that man. We don't belong to men. We belong to Christ, you know. And um, verse 7 says, For who maketh thee to differ? You know, differ means differentiation. It means denomination. It means parties. It means sectarianism. It means faction. It means all these things. These, this is what causes division in the church. And it doesn't have anything to do with love. It has nothing to do with the nature of God, you know, or forgiveness you know, or patience with one another. It has none of these things. It's competitive, like sports. You know, um, to some people it is a sport, you know, uh, religion is. For who maketh thee to differ, and what hast thou that thou dost not receive? And if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory or brag as if thou hadst not received it? In other words, we don't have anything that God didn't give us. What do we have to brag about? And why would we be competitive with our brother? And why would we be looking down on our brother? God can give it to him as easy as he can give it to us. If he gave it to us, he can give it to him. You know, this is the world creeping into the church, the beast creeping into the church. It has nothing to do with love. It has nothing to do with patience. It has nothing to do with God working his will in us. It has nothing to do with these things. He calls it puffed up, you know. People get all swollen, uh, self-importance, you know. Let's go back First 1 Corinthians 13 again and... Love vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly or shamefully, you know. You know, you can just watch some people, you know. I mean, um, this is a big joke to them. I remember a couple of prophets one time that were, you know, kind of raking me over the coals, or they called themselves prophets anyway, but they didn't have the nature of Jesus, you know. I mean, they didn't have the... The, um, a prophet is, is an office of an elder, which means somebody that's mature, but they, they acted like kids, you know, even on this program. You know, I didn't even have to say a thing. They were so foolish and so jestful and boastful in the, on, on this program that I, I, they, pro, they proved my point, basically. I didn't have to do a thing. People act uh, shamefully, you know. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not patient. They're not peaceful. They're not forgiving. Uh, they're competitive, they make fun of other people, and so on and so forth. Well, love does not behave itself unseemly. And um, it seeketh not its own. You know, love is not selfish. Me, my, and mine. You know, love is um, looking after the needs of the brotherhood and um, making sure your neighbor's Needs are met, and so on and so forth, whether they're spiritual, physical, whatever, you know. It seeketh not its own. It's not provoked. You know how easy it is to provoke the old man? It doesn't take much, does it? You know, the old flesh rises up when when you get in his territory, you know, and you uh, step on his toes. Well, 
it rises up, right? Well, you know, if you let that old man come down from the cross, you have to start all over to get him back up there sometimes. So, in Luke chapter 6, love is not provoked. Okay? Verse 27 says, But I say unto you that here, love your enemies. What provokes us more than our enemies, right? We are very competitive with enemies. We want to win. They're enemies. That's the point. They're on the opposite side, right? But actually, to us, enemies are not enemies. Enemies are what God uses to refine us and purify us. Enemies are uh, actually, if you looked from the spirit point of view, they are our friends because nobody will put us on our cross like our enemies. Our friends don't do it, don't want to do it, or we hope they won't anyway. <laughs> but uh, but we, the Lord says, love your enemies. You know? Well, for one thing, we can't judge enemies because if they got the same grace that we got, they'd be walking in our shoes. How could we judge them, right? We got, you know, many people judge their enemies because, well, they're not, not like me. You know, I've got this, I've done this, I'm at peace with this, and they're unjustly coming against me, which is, of course, part of our cross. Unjustice is part of our cross, right? Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Do good to them that hate you. Well, that usually provokes us, right? Love is not provoked. Enemies provoke, right? Do good to them that hate you. In other words, don't let them provoke you. Bless them that curse you. So you're returning good for evil, right? In other words, you're not permitting yourself to be provoked, to rise up against them, to return evil for evil, right? This is forbidden in the Scriptures. Jesus forbid that. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Well, you know what? That makes it a lot easier. I guarantee you, every time I remember to do this, it helps. Because you know, not only does God, you've overcome the trial, so the reason for the trial goes away, so the trial goes away. You know, the, the quickest way to get out of a trial is do what you're there for, right? Uh, when, when you've overcome that trial, the reason for that trial goes away, and then the trial goes away. So people struggle with the trial, struggle, struggle, but they're never laying down and being crucified. You know, they're never finishing the trial. They're never overcoming in the trial. So... Pray for them that despitefully use you. You know, don't get provoked, right? To him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And from him that taketh away thy cloak, withhold not thy coat also. Wow, somebody smites you on your cheek, that's a good opportunity to get provoked. Or it's a good opportunity to crucify the old man. So you have a choice there. Every time, every trial is a choice. When you make the right choice, you've overcome. When you make the right choice, the old man is crucified and the new man is manifested. Every time, you see. So when you have an opportunity to slap the guy back, you can let the flesh grow. It will. Every time you slap him back, the flesh will grow. You know, it's the old black dog, white dog scenario that you've heard, I'm sure. You know, 
You pin the two dogs up, the black dog, which is the flesh, and the white dog, which is the spirit. You pin them up. You feed the white dog. You turn them both loose. The white dog wins. You know, you pin them back up. You you uh, feed the black dog. You turn them both loose. The black dog wins. You know, who are you going to feed? You know, well, the one you give in to is the one you feed. You know, if you give in to the black dog, he's going to win. If you feed him, he's going to win. If you give in to the white dog, he's going to win. If you feed him, he's going to win. Feed your spirit man. You deny yourself. You know, what What does fasting do when you don't feed your flesh? In the natural, what does it do? Well, you know, after a few days, anybody could whoop you. You know, after a few days, you know. Uh, you, you just don't eat for a few days and find out how weak you are, you know. Don't feed the flesh. Guess what? It's going to lose. It's going to lose the battle. That's what you want, right? So, uh, your fa- fasting is helpful sometimes to be able to turn the other cheek, right? Uh, to him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him that taketh away thy cloak, withhold not thy coat also. Now that's, that's crucifying, isn't it? It's, it's crucifying to, to self, isn't it? You know, um, this old man, he doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to go to the cross, you know, and, uh, he doesn't want to stay there once you get him there. But if you let him down, it's a lot more trouble to get him back up there. In fact, you have to start from scratch in some cases, you know. And, uh, people taking away things that belong to you, you know, your self-righteousness rises up, you know, and, uh, you want to fight back and you want to go get them and you want to do everything you can to get your goods back. But, um, he said, um, Give me your coat also. And verse 30. Give to everyone that asketh of thee. Now, this is another one that's very crucifying. You know, we are, we're provoked when people ask us for things and we think they're not worthy and we think they're not going to use it right. And all these judgments come into our mind. Instead of being merciful to somebody that is weak or, or as Paul taught us, you know, to be weak to the weak, you know, we want to be strong to the weak and we want to say, no, you're, you know, you're not, you're not living right, and so well, that's true. But you know, uh, God, even the people who are not living right, need to live long enough to hear the gospel, and for the Lord to deal with their heart, don't they? And suppose that you're the only good you're doing there is to make them live long enough until they can understand and hear the gospel, and see your kindness, you know, as a witness of Jesus Christ in their life, and possibly hear a word from you, right? Give to everyone that asketh thee, and him that would take away thy goods, ask them not again. This is what Jesus is putting us on the cross here, isn't he? You know, these are all things that provoke us. But love is not provoked. That's what he said. And as you would that men would do unto you, do you also to them likewise. And if you love them that love you, now, here's... We're back to love again. If you love them that love you, what thank have you? For even sinners love those that love them. So there is a, a love that's worldly. You know, it's not agape. It's worldly. And uh, sinners do that kind of love. So what is it that saints do? They're able to love people that don't love them. That's what saints are able to do because God is in them. Not because these people deserve it, 
but we didn't deserve God's love in us. You know, we received it by faith, not by works, not by self-effort. And we, we never will have the love of God by self-effort or by works. It has to come as a free gift, or we'll never have it. And it's it comes because of grace. That's what a, a free gift is, unmerited favor. It comes because of grace. If we try to earn it, we will fail. We will not receive it. But if we receive it by grace, now we we stand in grace because of faith. And we stand in grace because of grace. How is that? Well, because when you give grace, you get grace. When you give favor to people that don't deserve it, then you will get it even when you don't deserve it, right? For even sinners love those that love them. So that's you've really not accomplished much if you love people that love you. And if you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have you? For even sinners do the same. So love is really not tested as long as it's your friends, your, your fellowship. It's only tested when you run into obnoxious people, you know, people that don't want to do you right, people that want to take away from you, people that want to assault you, people that want to insult you, uh, so on and so This is the only time love is really tested. God's love is really tested. And, of course, it's the only way you can not um retaliate is to be around people that are at peace with you, then you, you really don't have very strong faith, right? Verse 34. And if you lend them of whom you have hoped to receive, what thank have you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive again as much. But love your enemies and do them good and lend never despairing. You, you can't lose. Because, he says, and your reward shall be great. See, you can't lose. You think, oh, I'm losing. The devil tells you you're losing. You, uh, they're taking your your things and so on and so forth. They're uh, abusing you. They're uh, insulting you. They are, you know, uh, coming against your ego. You're losing. No, you can't lose. You can't lose. Let them have it all. Because, he says, for your reward shall be great. You know, this is an eternal reward. This is the thing we have to keep in our mind. We're not going to live here forever. We're just passing through. <laughs> you know, we're just sojourners, and we got to get it right because we only got one time. And uh, so we're going through this life really to lose our life so we can gain our life. And what a life we gain. This is an eternal life, an eternal reward. You know, so obey Jesus as you go through and Every one of these commands that Jesus has given are self-effacing. They are crucifying. They are opportunities for the old flesh to rise up and to retaliate. And and you forbid it, right? By the grace of God, you forbid it. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be sons of the Most High. That's a great reward right there, to be a son of the Most High. You know, there are many children and few sons, but... The Lord is manifesting His sons in these days. And if you want to be a son, He's telling you how to do it right here. You know, uh, we want the Son to be manifested in us. The only begotten Son of God uh, to come and live in us. And there's only one way. We don't, There's only one of us. So somebody's got to die here. You know, the old man has got to give up the, the uh, room to the new man, right? 
for he is kind towards the unthankful and the evil. Be ye merciful, even as your father is merciful. And judge not, and you shall not be judged. And condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. There is a place for judgment. There is a place for condemnation. But just because somebody doesn't deserve it, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to give them condemnation or judgment. Now, first of all, we all deserve the chastening of the Lord. If the Lord would come today, he could wipe out planet Earth with a clear conscience. Uh, the problem is that we've received grace. You know, uh, Noah received grace in the eyes of the Lord, didn't he? It didn't say he deserved it. It just said he received grace. That's different, you know. We want grace. And uh, so we got to give grace. And judging and condemning most people, uh, let me say, there are many saints who are walking in the light that they have. There's many things that they haven't manifested yet. And in those things, I'm sure we could point some things out to them. But the problem with judging and condemning is that person, if that person is walking in the light that they have, uh, walking under the blood covering that they have, that we may be judging them harsher than God is. And this is what we don't want to do if we want grace from God, right? He said, release, and you shall be released. Release them, you know. Don't, don't try to bring them into bondage. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall they give into your bosom. For what, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. That's a very important word there. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. So, be careful about measuring your meat. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, I'm going to go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You know... Love is not provoked, and it taketh not account of evil. It taketh not account of evil. You know, obviously, the Lord, um, if, we're, if we're constantly taking account of evil in other people, we will not be able to be forgiving. We will not be able to be kind. We will not be able to be what we need to be. And, um, you know, we have to forgive because we're forgiven, right? We take not account of evil. You know, Philippians um, um, chapter 4. Let me read that to you. This will enable us right here to walk before the Lord with love. If you, if you can't do what he says here in Philippians 4, 8, 9, and 10, then you can't walk in love. And this is what he says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he says, think on these things. Now, the word think on these things is the same words we just looked at. Take account of. Take account of these things. You know, love taketh not account of. Evil. It's not always looking on other people's problems, you see. First of all, you have to have faith for others just like you have faith for yourself, right? Having faith for others is, is looking beyond their foolishness and their failures and believing in what's bad. And uh, I'm looking at Isaiah chapter 5 here. In verse 20, it says, 
Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness. This comes quite natural to the beastly nature, right? Which is just the unregenerate old man, right? And put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Remember the sweet and the bitter waters, right, that James spoke about? Remember the sweet, the bitter waters that Moses and the children of Israel came through, and they they threw the um, the log in the water, and it turned it sweet. Well, that, that represented the cross, right? It turned it sweet. And the sweet and the bitter waters is the curse and the blessing, right, in James. So, verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I, I dare say we all start out that way, folks. <laughs> You know, we all think that what we believe and what we say is right, you know, and uh, so we have to be so patient with one another or these, this this will cause friction, right? Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, men that of strength to mingle strong drink. You know, this is people that prefer not reality. This is what he's saying here in the spirit, right? Many people prefer not to face reality. That's what drunkenness spiritually represents. And, of course, this is not reality when you see good as evil and evil as good. You know, the Pharisees who studied religion all of their life, when they saw Jesus, they saw evil. Can you imagine? But they had their own selfish ambitions. And they were calling evil good and good evil. And and yet they studied religion all their life. Do you know that there are a lot of religious people today that are the same way? In fact, this is who he's talking to in this text. He's not talking to the pagans here. He's talking to the people of God. And listen to what he says. That justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the righteous of the righteous from the righteousness of the righteous from him. They justified the wicked for a bribe. You know, think about Judas. You know, what allegiance he had with those Pharisees in order to crucify the Christ, right? And he was a religious man too, wasn't he? In verse 24, Therefore, as the tongue of fire devoureth the stubble. This is right out of James chapter 3, verse 6, right? That the tongue sets on fire a, a whole forest. And the, and the very cycle of life, you know, sowing and reaping is the cycle of life, right? The tongue does this. Well, we need to learn to agree with God with our tongue, you know, and uh, take account of those things which are good, you know. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devoureth the stubble, and as the dry grass sinketh down in the flame, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. In other words, they've rejected the renewed mind, so that they can see correctly. It's like a drunken man, you know, who doesn't want to perceive correctly because he perceives that he'd be losing his life otherwise, you know. But many people don't understand that's what we're here for, right? The renewed mind, the natural mind, the mind of the beast, uh, sees good as evil and evil as good. But the problem is God is judging you here because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy one of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, 
and he hath stretched forth his hand against them, and hath smitten them. And the mountains tremble, and their dead bodies are as refuse in the midst of the streets. This has happened every time a beast kingdom has raised up, folks. God's people, multitudes of what have loosely called God's people have been slaughtered. He said, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar and will hiss for, literally it says, him here, not them. If you, many of you have a footnote in your Bible that the Hebrew word is him. How can the nations be a him? Well, we're talking about the beast here, the beast of all nations, right, that God is raising up against his nation, which is spiritual Israel. He said he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar and will hiss for him from the ends of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp, and all their bows bent, and their horses' hooves shall be accounted as flint, and their wheels as a whirlwind. In other words, God is raising up an enemy to his people, because they have not loved truth, have not perceived good from evil. Their roaring shall be like a lioness, they shall roar like a young like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey. And the prey is God's people here. And carry it away safe. And uh, there shall be none to deliver. You know, the lion here is Babylon, right? Babylon is going to conquer God's people in these days. Spiritual Babylon is going to come against God's people. Because they have not loved the law of the Lord of hosts, and because they've despised the word of the Holy One, to be able to rightly discern good from evil. And they shall roar against their, against them in that day like the roaring of the sea. And, and if one look unto the land, behold darkness and distress, and the light is darkened in the clouds thereof. We want to escape this, don't we? You know, we need to obviously turn to the Lord. You know, how can two walk together except they be agreed, the Lord said. We need to have the renewed mind. We need to accept what is right and what is pure and what is love in His sight, not in our sight. Uh, we can agree with the multitudes around us. It's very comfortable. We don't have to go to a cross that way. We don't make enemies that way. But we won't be walking in the Spirit, and we will not escape the need for the cross in the future. See, the Lord is raising up this beast kingdom because God's people don't love, they don't know love, and love is God. And the truth is, God's children are also love. And um, God is going to manifest that in His people. You know, we need to die one way or the other. We can take the choice of Submitting to 1 Corinthians 13 and his crucifying love, let it be manifested in us, or we can wait until God sends the beast against us, right? Which he will do. Oh, thank you, Father.
Well, God bless you, and thank you for joining us today, saints. We'll, we'll do this again. God bless you. Good night. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you.
when I take up my cross, who I am. It doesn't really matter who I am. Who I am. It doesn't really matter who I am. And I don't really need your applause. Pats on the back, an encouraging word will do. As I walk the Lord's path, I cannot glory unless I glory in Him. Because to Him who knows to do a good thing and does not, it is sin. Who I am, it doesn't really matter who I am.